0: Going through uh, John in my personal devotions the last few weeks, and when I got to 14 through 17, uh, I had to I had to take two or three weeks just to go through those chapters. They're just incredible passages. But and I want to focus on specifically on John 17 this morning. On this, this is Christ's uh, prayer, the True Lord's prayer. This was been referred to. John 17, the, enchi- the entire chapter is Christ's praying uh, for his disciples, for for most of it. And um, so we are going to, uh, I'm actually going to start off, Just I'm going to read the the entire chapter. And um, uh, so uh, please follow along with me and uh, read along with me as I go through this. But I'm going to start right off in uh, verse 1 of John chapter 17. It says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth, For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. All mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. But now I am no more in the world. But these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. And these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. And I will pray quickly before we jump into the message. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can have this time to hear from your word. We pray for your blessing now in this time. Please fill me with your spirit. Help me to say what you would have me to say. Please open our minds and hearts now. And We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this chapter is an incredible Chapter. It is the Lord Jesus Christ praying to the Father, and this is at the end of a section of John. Here, this is immediately preceding the the, the capture and, and crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, and um, he he had just spent three chapters. Telling giving the disciples instructions, telling them about the Holy Spirit, telling them that He was going away, but that He would send the Holy Spirit and 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 having this this time with His disciples. And this is the end of it now, as He's praying to the Father for His disciples. There's so much here that we can learn about the the, the character of God and, and what He wants for us. And we see what we see in this chapter, in Christ's prayer, is that Christ, one, he prays for the Father to be glorified through the redemption of souls. And then he prays for those redeemed souls that they would be, uh, uh, about three things in here, where they would be sanctified, unified, and with Christ forever. I'm not as good as my dad is alliterating. I couldn't find another if-ide to end that with, but... This is the essence of of the, of the 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 prayer here in Christ. Starting right off in verse one, let's put in perspective first who is speaking here, who we're talking about. Of course, it's the Lord Jesus, but um, in, in verse one and two, he, he's he's, taking, he's speaking to the Father. This is the Son. Jesus Christ speaking to the Father. We're going to see a lot of references here to the Trinity, to the Godhead. This chapter gives us amazing insight into the Trinity of our God, into the three persons of God, of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In fact, we uh, looked at it briefly even in our Sunday school curriculum this morning. I think I might be a lesson off from some of the other classes. But we'll we'll look at that as we get further into this message. But um, but So in in verse 2, it talks about the power that he has. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Christ has power over all flesh. And this power comes from the Father. So the omnipotent God is the one who is praying here. Jesus Christ is God. The, the Trinity is a very difficult concept for us to wrap our finite minds around. But God the Son, is, 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 is Jesus Christ, is, is, is God, 100% God, as is God the Father, 100% God. Same person, but three different persons in one person. Very hard to wrap our minds around. But this is, the, this is, the, this is what, make, what sets apart God from, from, from us, one of the things it does. The omnipotent God is the one who's praying for us. God who has the power to do these things and and his praying to the father who has all power. He has the power to to fulfill these things. So just putting in perspective who we have here and then what we see just all over these verses in John 17 and in the previous chapters, 14, 15, 16, we see the love of Christ for us. Just pouring out of this i mean just the fact that he's praying for us so think about the fact that the omnipotent god the all-powerful god who is self-sufficient 100 percent independent does not need anything as act 17 brings out does not need us does not need anything he is taking the time and effort here to pray for us and of course if we put that in comparison to the entire purpose of Jesus Christ coming to Earth and what He did for His entire life here and His death here, you know, this prayer is just one one small thing compared to a whole host of things that He has done for us. And you just remember who it is that is doing this. This is Jesus Christ, the omnipotent God, the Creator of heaven and earth and all that is therein. And so He is the one that is praying this here. So starting right off. He, he's praying about glorifying the Father, for the Father to be glorified. Um, he, said, you know, he says, glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also glorify thee. The Son wants to be glorified so that He can glorify the Father. And how is this to, and how is this to be done? Important point to make. Uh, we're going to see 14 times in this chapter that there's, an, there's a that there, and the word behind the, the that in these specific ones is uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a word. If you it, that it, it's a causation word. It means in order that the word that's behind this one in the Greek language it means in order that. So it's he's saying do this so that this will happen. We're going to see that 14 times in this chapter. Do this so that this will happen, and. Um, So he's saying here, he wants to give eternal life to those who the Father has given him. So this would be done, so how he would glorify the Father would be giving men eternal life. Verse 3, he says, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So what is he talking about here? An important point to make important point to make here about this eternal life but what he's talking about Jesus Christ here is talking about redemption he's talking about God's eternal plan for the ages so um, we originally created think go, go back to the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve you know were originally created perfect sinless and in it with a relationship with God that was unhindered by sin they had this complete and fulfilling relationship with with God and that is why each and every one of us were created was to have that relationship with God that was messed up of course. By sin and sin not only messed up our relationship with God it messed up you know it messed up our planet it messed up god's god's uh, god 's original intent for us, but God sent his Son Jesus Christ to redeem that original plan that original intent that we might have relationship with him and Jesus Christ is the redeemer uh, so how Jesus Christ wants the Father to be glorified, it is for 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 men to be redeemed. Now why am I using that word redemption? Why am I using that redeem? It's because of verse three. So, and this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who now is sent. He's talking about having that relationship with God. The word know here it's a it's a um, it's talking about an experiential knowledge, knowing someone by meeting them, by having a relationship with them, by spending time with them. That's what this word means, an experiential knowledge, not just knowing that God exists, not just knowing that Jesus Christ exists and that he died, but having a personal relationship with him. This is life eternal. I'm reminded of Colossians chapter three, when it talks about in the verse part of that when it says, when Christ who is our life? And all throughout Scripture, John 14, 6, Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This truth is being reiterated again right here in John 17 in Christ's prayer, where the true life is in having a relationship with the Creator, in knowing the Father. This is what Jesus Christ wants. He wants for us to know the the father he wants for us to have that relationship with god the father with our creator he wants us to be redeemed why do we need to be redeemed to have that because of our sin because like we talked about in garden of eden adam and eve broke the one law they had don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil don't eat it and that was the one law and they broke it that is the essence of sin. That is the same thing. That, that is the same definition of sin it implies that he's breaking God's law. He has given us laws. He's, Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You can go through the list. The, the Ten Commandments is the essence of God's law. Law. We have broken that law. Just take a moment and think about your life. I don't like to do that. (laughs) If I take a moment and think about that, I start to feel very guilty. That is the purpose of the law. This is for you to think about it and start to feel guilty. Which is a good thing. Because the Bible tells us that there's a very severe penalty for breaking God's law. In the Garden of Eden, the severe penalty was, one, that relationship with God was broken with them. And two, they were, they were, they were kicked out of, of the Garden of Eden. But most importantly, as God told them what would happen, He said, In the day they eat, uh, eat thereof, ye shall surely die. death death was the penalty for that. Death is separation. Whether that's physical death, the separation of our soul and spirit from our body, which is a penalty of sin, but also eternal spiritual death, eternal spiritual separation from God forever in a lake of hell. That is the penalty for sin. So, it is a very uh, beneficial thing to feel guilty about your sin. To feel guilty about breaking God's law. Because if the breaking of that law is going to result, result in you being separated from God forever in a lake of fire, then you want something there saying, wait a minute, let's stop and think about this. Let's find a solution to this problem. That is the purpose of that guilt. That is your conscience. Romans chapter 2 tells us that the conscience bears witness with the law of God, that God has actually written each of those Ten Commandments on your heart. He has put them on your heart so that every time you break them, there is something there. And it is possible to, to suppress that conscience, no doubt, and to make that voice very, very small. But it is at least initially there, sometimes very strongly of that feeling of guilt, that conscience telling you. And that is the reason why when Jesus Christ wants us to know about, about His purpose for coming to the earth, about the redemption that He offers, about His death on the cross, about heaven, about eternal life, He first wants you to understand your need for it. He first wants you to understand your tremendous guilt before a holy and righteous God and that you need to do something about it because there, there is a terrible end coming. But I would say even more than that, you know the the, the ultimate the ultimate um, penalty for sin is that you know like it's that separation from God. It is the death, like Jesus Christ said. But in the fact that we're not fulfilling our purpose for which we were created, your life is 100% empty and vain if you do not have Jesus Christ in your life. There is no point to anything that you do because you're going to die and go to hell. You do not have that relationship with God. You are not fulfilling the very reason why you were created. This is, this is a terrible penalty of sin. Your life is vain. Your life is... It means nothing what you do. You must have that restored, that purpose restored. That is done through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what Jesus Christ here is, is, is saying that how ultimately how he wants the Father to be glorified is by, those, is by us getting eternal life. As he said that he should give them eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is eternal life that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Understand first, knowing the Father. He is the only true God. There is no other gods Beside him. Do not put anything else before God. Do not let the devil tell you that there is something else more, more, more worth your life than serving God, than, than bowing before God and accepting his salvation and becoming his child, becoming his servant, becoming part of his kingdom. He is the one true God. There is nothing else. He is the only one worth worshiping, worth giving your life to. So do not give your life to anything else besides God. And the devil will do all he can, all he can to put so many things in front of you. No, this is God. This is, this is better than God. Do this. This is better than God. This, or this. You know, he'll, he'll put so many things. Don't let that happen. God is the only true God. So one, we must know that the Father is the only true God, and we must know in Jesus Christ, this is eternal life that they might know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom now has sent so many clear references to the deity of Christ in this chapter. Anyone, I don't know how anyone can study the book of John and not see the obvious fact of the deity of Jesus Christ. This is just one thing here. But Jesus Christ is the one whom God has sent to be the Redeemer, to come down, and how did he do that? He came down, he lived on this earth for 30-something years, lived as a man. He was 100% man and 100% God. He was God incarnate. There was hundreds and hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament starting 6,000 years ago in Genesis chapter 3 that God would become flesh and come down and be born of a virgin and live on this earth with man hundreds of prophecies. It's a totally, totally undeniable fact that that happened. And Jesus Christ came, became a man, lived a perfect life as a man without sin, completely without sin. Did not once break God's law. How was he able to do that? Romans chapter 5. He was not of Adam's seed as we are. You know, Adam's sin is passed down to all of us. Jesus Christ. It was born of a virgin. God was his father. He did not come from Adam's seed. And he was sinless. He was perfect. He was 100% God, 100% man. But as a man, he lived that perfect life. And then he, 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 he fulfilled his purpose in order to redeem us. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there, there is no redemption of sin. Uh, There was a very high cost that had to be paid in order for Jesus Christ to redeem our souls, in order to pay the price to to fix what we have done through our sins, to restore us so that we can have a relationship with the holy, almighty God. There was a very high price that had to be paid. Jesus Christ had to pay our penalty for sin. Jesus Christ had to experience death. Physical death and also separation from the Father. And we'll see in this chapter how what a, what a big deal that was. Jesus Christ talks about how He was with the Father before the foundation of the world. I actually, I think I will actually skip ahead in my message a little bit. I think this will fit well here. I'm going to read again verse 23 and 24. It says, I and them, and thou and me. That they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and has loved them as thou hast loved me. Get this right here. This is God the Son talking to the Father, talking about the Father's love for the Son. Let's keep reading. It says, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory, which Thou hast given me. For Thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. This was the part that was kind of in our Sunday school curriculum. Before the foundation of the world, what was happening before creation? Before Genesis chapter 1, Okay, all you had was God. Genesis chapter 1 is the creation of all things. You had the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One person, but a triune person with three persons like I said, hard to wrap your mind around it, but it's God. God is who he is. And they have, the, they have this incredible, loving relationship within the Trinity. And it still has, God is outside of time. He, he's always there. Um, this is, so one of, what, what Christ would have to do to pay the price of redemption, to suffer that death this relationship that he has with the Father, this love that he has had, I mean, you can't even put an amount of time because God is outside of time. It's just always been there. I mean, if we were tempted to put some kind of time on it, it just boggle our minds. Think about the relationship of the Trinity, the love that is in the Trinity. That was going to be broken on Calvary. The Father was going to turn his back on the Son. You know, that's what Christ had to do. The price he had to pay, that's, just, that's a part of it. And he had to do that because the Father, 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Father took our sin and put it on the Son, who He's loved is before the foundation of the world, and turned his back on him, and he died on Calvary. That's the price of redemption. That's what Christ had to do for us. This is what Jesus is referring to. This is John 17. This is immediately before John 18, obviously. This is right before Christ is going to the crucifixion. This is what Christ is thinking about. This is what is about to happen. And he is telling the Father, he said, Father, do this so that I can glorify you. This is what he wants the Father to do. So Christ did that. He lived that perfect life. He went to the cross. Our sin... Every sin that we've ever committed was put on him, on Calvary. He was judged in our place, suffered physically more than any of us could imagine, suffered spiritually that anguish of his soul of being separated from the Father, and he died there on the cross. He fulfilled the requirement of God's holiness and God's justice. He was holy, he was perfect, fulfilled that requirement. He was, and he fulfilled the justice of God by fulfilling what God set as the penalty of sin, of death. He did that in our place, for us, so that we don't have to. So how do we receive this eternal life? How do we get to the point where we're in verse 3? That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. How do we have that experiential knowledge? How do we have that relationship with the Almighty Creator, which results in having that eternal life. How do we get that? And the Bible tells us that is through repentance and faith. And by repentance, I mean repenting from, in one sense, repenting from whatever you believe in and putting your faith in Christ alone. Turning from unbelief in Christ and putting your belief in Christ alone. Turning from, I believe in. Baptism to save me, and putting that in Christ. Turning from, I'm an atheist, and putting that faith in Christ. Repenting, and place your faith in Christ. And just as um, uh, the, the, the example of the thief in the cross, this pastor mentioned so many times, such a great example. The thief in the cross, he looked to the one person who could save him, Jesus Christ, who is dying there on the cross next to him. He confessed that Jesus Christ was God. He confessed that I am a sinner and that Jesus Christ is God and He's the only one that can save me. And he asked him to save him. That's exactly what we do. We realize I am a sinner, no hope, I deserve death. Jesus Christ is God, the Lamb of God, sent by the Father to provide his eternal life. He is the only one that can save me. I'm going to trust in him and save me. As soon as you do that, Christ will save you. You will have that eternal life immediately. It's first John chapter well, the whole book, but several times put in there. Book of first John. Man, you know, you have that eternal life immediately. It never goes away. That is redemption. That's what Jesus Christ came to do. That is what Jesus Christ is praying here to happen so that he can glorify the Father. And um, and he says in verse four, it says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Jesus Christ glorified God also by obeying Him, by completing the, the accomplishing rather the 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 purpose that God had given Him, and that so He's the the work He's going to that He's referring to here has to do with His disciples, and we're gonna we're gonna look into that, and uh, but Jesus Christ is on the brink here on the Virgin John 17 of going to fulfill that plan of redemption of completing. That work that he was that, the, 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 that has to do with the plan of redemption. Now, referring to the finished work that he's talking about here in verse four, he's going to explain more. Of that he's going to go on to talk about his disciples. Let me, let me, for time's sake, um, I'm going to, I'm going to skip down a little. Bit. Let me, let me. I'm going to read verse six and read a few verses here. It says, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. And now they have known all things whatsoever thou was given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. And I have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. So verse 8 here is a very good example of what the disciples did, what is required to have that relationship with God. Jesus Christ, God gave... Jesus his disciples. He's like, okay, these are mine. I'm giving these to you. Jesus Christ, what did He do? He told them about the Father. He gave them His Word. He told them about the Father. What did the disciples do? They accepted it. They believed His Word. They received it. That is what we need to do. When, when we hear the Word of God, accept it, believe it, receive it. That will result in you having that relationship with God. It's how we enter into that relationship with God. And so verse 9 says, I'm going to pray for the disciples. I pray for them. Not for the world. Uh, Multiple times, uh, at least three times in this chapter, Christ mentions the fact that his disciples are separate from the world. He repeats it multiple times in here. That his disciples are separate from the world. As an example he gives is himself. As I was not of this world. My disciples are not of this world. Remember that. That is the reason for being separate from the world. That's, to, that's, that's the reason for not looking like the world, acting like the world. Because Jesus Christ was not of this world. We're Christians. We're followers of Christ. We're not of this world. And Jesus Christ makes it a point repeatedly through this. And verse 11, he, 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 he's going to pray that the Father would keep his disciples. He's in the emphasis on the the the, the fact that the disciples belong to the Father it says now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. So he's praying he this is the first time he prays for God to when keep his disciples and that they may be one as we are. He's kind of giving a, a, a little introduction an overview into what he's about to pray for more depth. More in depth. One, for, the, for their sanctification and for them to be unified, to be one as we are. Two very important things. And, I mean, a point I want to make too. you could almost, let's see, in verse, so verse 11, verse 11, um, yes, verse 11, it says, I come to thee, He says, now I know more in the world and these are in the world and I come to thee he, he repeats that again. Verse 13, I believe it is. Yes, and now come I to thee. And these things speak in the world. And I believe actually is, is repeated again. No, he it, it concludes later on in the chapter, but it's, it's a different type of, but similar thing. We'll look at that in a minute. But he can, I just, as reading it, you know, when I was reading this this week, you can sense the excitement of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, he knows what's coming, but. His time on earth is in this, you know, for this time, his purpose for what he came to earth, it's almost done. He's about to go back to the Father. And he's repeating, I come to thee. I'm going back to my Father, you know, who I've been with since before the foundation of the world. And we have that relationship. I'm going back there. You know, can sense his excitement. I'm going back there. And to point out too, um, and I'm kind of skimming through my sermon, kind of for time's sake because I want to hit this, but in verse... Uh, 20 um, Again, verse 24, we read this previously. It says, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am. <laughs> you know, that same relationship that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity has and has had since before the foundation of the world. Do you know why Christ came? So that we could be part of that. Part of that relationship. Verse 24, he says, He's asking the Father. He's praying the Father. I will that they also whom Thou hast given me be with me where I am. Where is He going to be with the Father in heaven? He's like, I want my disciples, those who I've redeemed. I want them to be with me in this same relationship. It's just what a thought, you know. What a thought. But there's, and that's the reason why. You know, verse three. Jesus is the only true God. The Father is the only true God. I mean, what else could you live for that could compare to that? Is there anything else? I mean, in eternity to have that relationship there. Anyways, that's what we're meant for. So keep that in perspective, Christian. That's where you're headed. That's what you're meant for. So when you're on this earth, you know, just remember that. That's, that's what's coming. And that will help us serve Christ. That will give us motivation for Christ. So, Father, He prayed for two things or Jesus prays for two things to the Father. One, that they be sanctified. Two, they'd be unified. Um, then, so he's, in verse 11, he says, for, you know, keep them through thine own name. And then if you jump down to verse 15, it says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So, keep, he mentions it in verse 11. He explains it more in verse 15 through 18, 19. Um, so, uh, what he's talking about here is being keeping from the evil of the world. He's not, talking about, he's not asking the Father to keep us, to protect us from the natural evil of the world. You know, that is the sickness... And suffering and pain, just the result of the curse of sin. That's going to happen. You know, <laughs> no one. I don't think anybody's crazy enough to think that. You know, we're never going to go through any kind of suffering or pain if you're a Christian. That's not what he's talking about here. Not that kind of evil. But he's talking about the moral evil of the world. You know, the moral evil that. Um, you know the the um, the 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 immorality of the world. That that is what he's asking the Father to protect from. And, he, and again, he emphasizes the fact that his disciples are the fathers. And that's the motivation that he's using here to, to ask the Father to do this. And that they would be sanctified. It's the same, same thought in verse 17. It says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so he's asking the Father to sanctify us. That word means to set apart for a purpose. It means to make holy. Same idea as keeping them from the evil of the world. Same idea. Uh, to sanctify us through the word, through the word. And Christ gave them his word. Verse, verse 14, he says, I have given them thy word. You know, and we have that same word. We have the Bible. It's referring to the Bible. This is truth. And this is how we are sanctified. This is how uh, the Father will sanctify us is through his word. So, um, keep in perspective this prayer, what's happening in this prayer. You have Jesus Christ, the Son, second person of the Trinity, praying to the Father, God, you know, almighty, omnipotent, God, the first person of the Trinity. And he's asking him to sanctify his saints, to preserve them from the evil of the world, from, from sin, from falling into sin. That's what he's asking them to do. So, I think there's, and I would point out in verse 2, you know, talking about the power, this omnipotent God, there's a lot of power involved in this prayer. You have God praying to God. I think that God is, you know, he's gonna keep his word. I don't think there's any reason to believe that this is not gonna is not gonna happen. So, God's gonna keep his promise here. The point I'm making is it is possible to be sanctified. It is possible to be kept from the evil of the world, to be kept from falling into sin. Now I'm not we're all going to sin still every day. we're going to sin you know I'm not preaching that we're going to one day be perfect and be sinless, except you know on Earth, we will in heaven, but not on Earth, but it is possible if Christ, if God if, if the son is asking the Father to do this, it's going to happen. but how is he going to do it? He's going to do it through his word. He's going to do it through his word. So what do we have to do. we need his word. The end God's word. I believe it's one of the biggest reasons why the Bible emphasizes us knowing God's Word, studying God's Word, reading it day and night, listening to God's Word, being God's Word. This is how you keep yourself from evil. This is how you keep yourself from falling into sin. This is, and what happen, why is this a big deal? Why, think about the context of this chapter. And why? why would Jesus Christ not want us to fall into evil to fall into sin why would jesus christ not want us to sin does he mention anywhere in here you know judgment does he mention casting bolts of lightning at us what is he talking about what in in the context of this chapter he's talking about his loving relationship with the father and how he wants to bring us into that loving relationship what happens when we sin against god that relationship is is hindered you know we're still, if you're a child of God, if you've been saved, you're always going to be a child of God. You're never going to remove that relationship. But if you're sin, if you're disobeying God, that, that relationship is very weak. It's very hindered. There's not a lot of love there. There's not a lot of communication. There's not a lot. Why does Jesus Christ want us to not fall into sin, not evil? So he can have a relationship with us that is meaningful, that is, that is real, that is every day, that is significant in our lives. Something that we love and that we look forward to. This is why he's asking God to keep us from evil. So remember that too, as a motivation from keeping from sin. Jesus wants you to be kept from sin, so that he can have a close relationship with you. And think about what he's done for us, you know. The love of Christ constraineth us. And, uh, And that will... That would be a motivation for that. But, and lastly, to wrap it up, um, I'm just, uh, just a couple minutes here, I'll, I'll be wrapped up. Just mention this last point, the unity of the believers. Uh, he talks about this. Let me. I'm going to um, jump to verse 21. So that, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Um, so he wants over and over again. He repeats that so he wants his disciples to be one, to be unified, to have that unity, you know. And he, he's, and he compares it to the Trinity. You know, within the Trinity, within God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there is unity. There is no there is no clash of wills going on. They're unified. So one that's how our relationship with Christ should be. No clash of wills. If God tells us to do something in His Word. Don't go against that. Don't go against that. You know, do what God says. You know, be one in that way. But also, you know, among the brethren. This is praying specifically, you know, in this, among disciples. You know, we have our local church here. how God works through our local churches. God wants us to be one. With one purpose. One mind. No, he wants us to have harmony, submission, peace. And... If you look at Colossians chapter 3, I really wanted to kind of go through Colossians chapter 3 too I'm out of time. Read Colossians chapter 3 along with John 17. It's basically the Apostle Paul going into detail about, uh, about um, the eternal life and the one true God, about sanctification, and about the brethren having unity. Colossians 3 is detailing those things. Three that, it talks about things like let the peace of God rule in your hearts. You know, it talks about submitting yourselves. It talks about... Um, you know, lie not to one another, putting off anger, blasphemy, wrath, malice. You know, is that, it, 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 chapter 3 really goes into detail on how to have that unity in that church. God wants us to have that. Christ wants us to have that. And he wants to be made perfect in one, being complete in one. And, along, and that was in reference to, um, uh, in verse 23, I and them, thou and me, that they may be perfect in one. Talking about us in Christ. That's how we're perfect. That's how we're made complete. That's what that word means. Without that relationship with God, you are not complete. You have a big part of your life that's missing. You need that relationship with God to be complete. And that the world may believe on the Father. We should... Okay, so that, that's the motivation. And just mention this briefly. Verse 20, you know, he says... Um, or... or uh, yeah, verse 20, says... Uh, 21, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. He wants us to, be, to have unity, to be one. With God, so that the world will notice that and believe on the Father. That is our motivation. That is our reason for pursuing and seeking unity in our local church, is so that the Father would be glorified through the redemption of more souls who notice our unity. You, I think you could also apply that to your local family, to, to your local, you know, local church and your family too. To your family, you know, unity in a family and, and and having peace and harmony in your family and serving God together. Apply that to your church too. So, when it's hard to be unified, when there's that brother or that sister that it's hard to have that harmony with, remember the reason? It's to glorify the Father. It's not, it's not for me. It's not for anyone else in the church. It's to glorify the Father. That's the reason why we pursue it. And it's so that the world will notice and, and, and will uh, we'll believe on the Father. And along that note, we should be noticeable by the world. You know, if, we're, if it, things, you know, if, like, our church folded or something and we had some big disaster, I'd hate the neighbors to be like, oh, I didn't even know there was a church there, you know. So, <laughs> if, if we're having unity in our church, you know, we'll be noticeable. The world should notice the church. And you know, that's uh, one of the points Jesus Christ is making here, that the world will believe on the Father. So, just to wrap it up. You know and God's in the conclusion of this chapter is he's talking about God's love for us, and now he wants us to be part of that relationship with him. So this incredible prayer by the Lord Jesus Christ for the Father to be glorified through the redemption of souls, and for those redeemed souls to be sanctified, unified, and to be with him forever in that relationship with him forever. So I'm finished with that uh, Greg, sorry.